the Northern Illinois Food Bank today, serving for Chapel Street Church, and we're having a great time. We are packing orders for the food pantry. We got tons of stuff. I don't know. It is so much fun. So I've been serving at Buddy Break for a decent amount of time and it's always just like the best part of my weekend. Every Saturday when it happens, you know, 10 to 1, you see all those smiling faces, all the kids running around and it, it just means so much to me, let alone the kids and the families. And it's a great way to serve, but also like I love this environment so it's really important for me to be here with the kids. Serving helps to, to not only help out others, but also it's a way to, to fulfill some of the needs that we all have. And just giving back and uh, bringing a smile and bringing some love to people that, that might need it at certain times of life. church because we as believers are called to love the people around us and one of the ways that we can do that is to serve the people around us and like do things that we're doing here today where it's like hey we're staying picnic tables or like hey we're cleaning up your art room stuff like that. So we're here at uh, Schneider Elementary School, one of our closest neighbors actually right across from our North Aurora campus uh, and we're spending some time just painting some classrooms, doing some tidy up work for them just to bless the staff as they head into the new school year. Well, as maybe you know, if you've been around Chapel Street for any length of time, we just concluded, actually, I guess today we technically conclude a month-long service initiative called Neighborhood Serve. That video was to highlight all the different moments and stories. So much God has done throughout the last month as we've intentionally been serving our community. So if you've been a part of that in any way, shape, or form, we're appreciative and we're so grateful for the ways in which uh, we are a neighborhood church here to, to serve and to reach our, our neighbors and our community. Kind of feels like I could just kind of do a benediction right now. We've had such a full service and we'd be good. Uh, but I do believe that God has something really specific and important for us as we dive into his word. So let's take a moment to pray and ask him to speak to us through his word. Father God, we just come before you this morning uh, just grateful, even just for the past half an hour or so, as we've been able to, to worship and celebrate you. We've seen lives declaring that, that they belong to you and, and child dedications and just the God, we just praise you for who you are and for what you have been doing and will continue to do in this community of faith. And God, now as we turn and, and spend time in your word, God, I just pray that you give each one of us open minds and, and open hearts to, to what it is that you have to say to us. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, believe it or not, next summer marks the 25th 
anniversary of the sixth and final NBA championship for the Chicago Bulls. I don't know if that makes you feel young or old. I actually turned 30 just a few months ago, so I was pretty young during the whole Bulls dynasty run, but I kind of got old enough near, near the last maybe year or two, the last championship or two, that I kind of at least began to remember like all the gear that was in stores and just all the hype and all the energy that surrounded the Bulls' big dynasty run. In fact, actually, my first sports memory was that last shot where MJ maybe like a little bit of a push-off and then hit the shot over Byron Russell to win that sixth title in 98. But my guess is that if all these years later, if you were to talk to a group of people that lived in or somewhere near Chicago about the 90s Bulls, you probably wouldn't just talk about that last shot or some of the big moments, right? You wouldn't talk about the greatest final moments. You probably wouldn't even need to like explain Dennis Rodman's hair or some of those basic things because anybody who grew up in or around Chicago or who lived there during that time, like they'd already know some of that basic stuff, right? And so instead kind of dive a little bit further into the details. You do some things that kind of tell a little bit more of the lesser known stories about the Bulls dynasty run, kind of like the Last Dance documentary did a couple years ago. You kind of try to tell the backstory, how they got from point A to point B, not just focused on all of kind of the big deal highlights. And as we continue along today in our summer series called By Faith, what we see is that the author of Hebrews is kind of doing a similar thing. As we've talked about all summer, Hebrews 11 is all about the type of faith exhibited by some of the the heroes of our faith. But something that we've noticed as we've gone throughout this chapter throughout the summer is that the author is telling this story to a group of people who would have been really familiar with the Old Testament quote-unquote highlights. And he's also talking to a group of people that while they know those stories, they were really struggling to hang on to their faith. And so more than just focusing on the big moments, more than just focusing on the highlights, really Hebrews 11 is telling a different story. A story of how these faithful men and women in the midst of the ups and downs of their life continued to live by faith and continued to to, to look forward to the promise of the Messiah who was to come. So as we continue on in our series, we're going to dive in uh, today to the first of two separate weeks on Moses. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be taking a look at verses uh, 23 through 26. It'll be up here on the screen as well. Here's what the author writes. He says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. We'll stop there now for a moment. It's clear that Hebrews 11 has a lot to say about Moses. We'll again continue on in his life and his story next week. And actually, in fact, Moses, the second longest section of all of Hebrews is written about Moses, just next to Abraham, who the author writes the most about, which kind of makes sense. They're pretty big, towering figures throughout the Old Testament. But with all that said, this, uh, the first thing that we see here in our text in Hebrews 11 isn't actually about Moses and his life and his faith himself. It's actually about the courageous faith of his parents 
and also we see of two Hebrew midwives. And this leads us to the first thing that we see here in our text, and that is the courage of faith. The courage of faith. Uh, I don't often come to Mill Creek. I usually am at our Kesslinger campus, and you saw maybe on the screen, I'm our high school pastor, so excited to be able to have the chance to, uh, to be here and to get to know some of you this morning. If you do know me, uh, you might know my daughter. She, her name is Raylan. Uh, there's a picture of her, her up on the screen. She looks just like her mom. If there's any debate, uh, I think we could just settle that right here. Uh, she's back in the nursery, probably playing with babies and having a good time, but she'll turn two in September, which is really crazy to me because it feels like, like I just remember being in the hospital after she was born like it was yesterday. And she was born in 2020, which meant that like the hospital, the rules, a lot of things were different than, than usual uh, in that year. But, uh, but after she was born, after, you know, it was kind of different than typical, but the nurses eventually gave us the option if we wanted her to sleep in the crib next to Ashlyn's bed, or if they wanted, if we wanted them to take her away like to the nursery for a few hours so we could kind of try to get some sleep. What I learned is that when you've been parents for like, a handful of hours or something like that. As much as you want to sleep, like it's actually kind of hard to send your baby away to go to some other room, even just for a few hours. It took kind of some courage, probably more for Ashlyn. I was like half asleep over on the couch in the corner of the room, sorry. Uh, But it kind of takes a little bit of courage to be able to send your child away, even though you're completely sleep deprived and want to get a little bit of sleep. But the courage that we see on display early on in Moses' life is a whole different kind of courage. Let's look back again at what the author of Hebrew writes in verse 23. He says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Just like we've been doing throughout this entire series, in order to, to understand more of what the author of Hebrews is saying, we need to flip back into the Old Testament Uh, to dig in a little bit deeper. So if you have your Bibles with you, again, you can turn back with me uh, to the book of Exodus. We'll spend most of our time in chapters 1 and 2. Just a little bit of context to kind of help us enter into the story. The the book of Exodus begins by telling us that Joseph, who if you were here last week, Sterling preached on last week, uh, Joseph by this point and all of his sons have passed away, and quite a few years have passed, but the Israelites had continued to be fruitful and multiply. And we see in Exodus Uh, chapter 1, verse 8, says, Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. See, this new pharaoh, this new king in Egypt does not really view Israel as a blessing, but rather as a, as a threat to his power, to his rule, to his reign. So in response to that, he enslaves the Israelite people, and he even goes as far as instructing these two Hebrew midwives to kill any of the baby boys that are born, to kind of help wipe out the whole population, which the midwives don't do, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. But that leads us to the end of chapter 1, so we see in verse 22. It says, then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. We'll pick the story up, continue on to the story with the birth of Moses. We see this in the beginning of Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she, she hid him for three months. 
But when she, hid him, when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. By faith, first we see the courage to stand up to fear. Let me ask you a question. What do you think causes a person to do the right thing when they're instructed to do the wrong thing? I think our culture, in a lot of ways, might have a lot of different answers to that, right? Maybe it's being a good person. Maybe it's like having good morals or, or lockers or something along those lines. Culture, I think, might even debate what is right and what is wrong. But I think it's really clear here in Exodus 1 and 2 that what allows both the midwives and Moses' parents to do the right thing, to, to courageously stand up to fear, I think it's their faith the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. As we've talked about all summer long in this series called By Faith, it's not, not the amount of faith that they have, but it's the, it's the object of their faith, where their faith is placed. And first, we see back in Exodus 1.17 that the midwives chose to stand up to Pharaoh. They chose to not kill the baby boys as he instructed them to do, and it says they did so because they feared God, which doesn't mean that they were necessarily afraid of God. Actually, Tim Keller describes the fear of the Lord like this. He calls it a joyful, astonished awe and wonder before God. You see, the midwives, they they knew that God should be respected and worshipped. And even though they didn't see everything, they, they knew what was right. They knew what God would have them do. And so in the face of an unimaginably difficult situation, They did something that was incredibly risky, something that that really would have gotten them killed if they were found out because they they feared God over man. We don't get quite as many details about Moses' parents. We don't even get their names, which is Amram and Jacobed. So Cetus, I feel like that was one of the options you could have gone with, but Santiago, Mateo, those are nice too. But we don't even see their names until later on in the book of Exodus. But, but it's really clear that they also had a, a, f- a faith, a faith to stand up to, to not do what was wrong. It says they were afraid of the king's command, and so they hid Moses for three months. Again, an act that, of courage that would have gotten them killed if Pharaoh and his army had found out. They also had the courage to trust God to protect their child, and so they carefully sent Moses down the river. I think both of these are really powerful examples of what it looks like to respond to fear with courageous faith. C.S. Lewis says that courage is the testing point of every virtue. I think what we can learn is that living by faith means having such such a courageous belief in who God is that your response to an unimaginably difficult situation, your response in in a hard conversation, maybe with a friend or a coworker, your response to, to the injustices that we see in the world around us, your response isn't powered by fear, by what people might say, what people might think. Your response is powered by trust, by trust in a God who is able to do great things through not so great of circumstances. Not only do we see the courage to stand up to fear, we also see the courage to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. I think something that's really clear throughout the entire story of the Bible is that every life is created in the image of God and that every life matters to God. 
And I wonder if you noticed when we read Exodus 2, how, how it describes Moses in verse 2. I don't have it back up on the screen, but I'll, I'll read Exodus 2, verse 2 again. It says, The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. A fine child. The author of Hebrews describes him as no ordinary child. Sometimes that's translated as beautiful. One translation says unusual. It's probably not really how I'd want my parents to describe me. But the, uh, the word that's used here in Exodus 2 is actually really significant because it's the same word, the same Hebrew word that's used back in Genesis 1 as God is describing his creation as good. See, Moses' parents seem to understand that Moses was good that he was created in the image of God for a specific purpose. And as people living by faith, I think that this should instruct our view as well. See, in a lot of ways, Moses' life was inconvenient. And standing up to protect him was really dangerous, and it certainly wasn't easy. But yet, in the face of all of that, we see the courageous faith to protect him. And not just faith from his parents, more so kind of faith from an entire community. The midwives step up, and even in some ways, I think Pharaoh's daughter, who ends up taking him from the river, displays some sort of faith by doing that. See, as followers of Jesus, we should be known for standing up for those who can't stand up for themselves. And I think as a community of faith, we should be known for protecting and blessing the next generation. Just like Sterling shared in, in the child dedication for the Sita family, raising up young people in faith doesn't happen just from their parents. It doesn't happen just from their family. It happens by, with an entire community praying for and intentionally investing and pouring in to those young children. Like I said, I'm the high school pastor here. One of the ways we talk about this in student ministry and next-gen ministry is that we really strive that every young person in our church has at least five Christian adults who are intentionally investing and surrounding our young people in in their lives in in order to, to help understand more of what it looks like to follow after Jesus. Now, for you, it might not look like some of the examples we see in Exodus 2 of being a midwife or, you know, some sending your three-month-old child down a river. But I do think that we can live out this type of courageous faith even in, in simple and small and practical ways. Maybe that looks like volunteering down the hall in Kids Station on a Sunday or being the student small group leader when we kick off ministry in a month or two. Maybe it means getting involved in a ministry like the Caring Network that we highlighted and focused on and raised support for over our Advent season. Maybe it's just as simple as, as praying for a young family that lives down the street from you or, or kids that you drive by on your way home from work. I think whatever it might look like, however God might lead you, living by faith looks like having the courage to stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves, believing that just like Moses God may later on use them to stand up for others. Next, the author of Hebrews turns to focus a little bit more specifically on Moses' faith, and it's here that we see the choice of faith. The choice of faith. I'm sure Sterling's talked about this from time to time, but, but kind of a question that's been stirring around in our minds as, as a preaching team, and, and definitely in my mind, in my role in student ministry, is, is what does it mean to choose to follow Jesus in the midst of all that surrounds us in our culture today, right? Like in a world that's, that's just filled with division and controversy and so many different opinions, what, is it, what does it really look like? How do you live by faith? 
And I've spent a lot of time, like I said, thinking about this and reading and praying about it. And, and recently, a couple weeks ago or so, I sat down with one of our high school students. He's going to be a junior. He's on our student leadership team. And I kind of just started picking his brain and asking him that question and kind of questions like that. And what he described to me was that he, he, he said that he feels like intentionally choosing to follow Jesus in, in his life as a, as a high school student, as a kid super involved in sports and different things like that, choosing to follow Jesus as a teenager today, is his word was, it's an anomaly. It's just something that completely deviates from the norm, from the norm of what you see in school, on your sports teams, and social media. And I think as we continue looking at Moses' story, what we see is an example of choosing faith, so, somebody who deviates from the norm in order to follow after God. And we're not told a lot about Moses in his early life. We know, like I said earlier, that Pharaoh's daughter pulls him from the river, and later on he becomes her son, which means that Moses grows up in, in a family of an Egyptian king where he would have had every luxury, every, everything you could ever have imagined afforded to him just by nature of his family. And we see back in Hebrews 11, verses 24 and 25, the author says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. There's a lot packed into those just two verses, but I think there's at least two things that we can see about what it means to choose faith. First, choosing faith is choosing a different direction. The author of Hebrews says that when Moses had grown up, which actually we learned from Stephen's speech back in Acts 7, that it's likely around the time when Moses is 40, which kind of makes me question how grown up I am, but, uh, but we're told that at that point, something happened in Moses' heart where he chooses to walk away from Pharaoh's family and instead chooses to identify with the Israelites, to be one of God's people. And there's some twists and turns in Moses' story, as you may know. We'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, but there's, I think, a lot that we can learn from this. You see, Moses is a guy who kind of had it all. He grew up for 40 years living a life of absolute luxury. He had everything right there on his fingertips. Some scholars even think he was possibly in line to become uh, a pharaoh later on in life. But yet he made a decision that, that really, if you think about it, doesn't make a lot of sense. He threw away the life that he had, which probably included a lot of things. The author of Hebrews talks about it as the fleeting pleasures of sin. He throws away everything, and instead he chooses to follow God and to identify as, a, as one of God's people. Why? I'm not really told directly, but I've always tended to wonder if it's because Moses recognized that, that he's missing something. I think we have felt that in our lives. We, we hear stories about that from people like celebrities and, and things like that all the time. And recently I, I saw in a 60 Minutes interview from Tom Brady from probably like 15 years ago or so, after he had already won three Super Bowl championships, in an interview that he, he did with 60 Minutes, he admitted that he still felt empty. Even after achieving all that he had achieved, he said there's got to be something more than this. I also saw a magazine interview from, from more recently, a few years ago, right when Billie Eilish had kind of reached the height of her, of her uh, career, as a, uh, her fame as a singer and a songwriter. She admitted that even after reaching all of those goals, money, fame, all those things, that she still was unsatisfied. She even said that if she had the choice to do it all again, to, to chase her musical career dreams, that she wasn't even sure if, if she would do it, if it was worth it or not. 
See, I think so often we, we place our faith in, in things to achieve, right? That, that job, that grade, that scholarship, that house, that perfect family. If I just had that thing, then I'd be fulfilled, right? Then I'd be satisfied. But I think in reality, if, our, if that's where our faith is placed, I think we're unsatisfied whether we get that thing or not. But we see that Moses chooses a different path. He gave it all away, everything that was afforded to him by being in, in Pharaoh's family. He gave away this entire life of luxury. By faith, he went in a different direction. Paul talks a little bit about what it, what it looks like, what it means to go in a different direction. In one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Romans 12, 2. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, choosing faith means choosing not to follow the pattern of the world. Not to do what's easier, not to do what maybe seems more appealing in the temporary. It means to allow God to shape, to shape your mind, to change your thinking, so that he might give you the courage to courageously follow him and live according to his will. Second, we see that choosing faith is choosing a different cost. I think in a lot of ways, maybe more now than ever, Christians, in our, at least in our country, maybe in our world, are, are viewed more so as part of the problem in our society than they are as part of the solution. I think, to be honest, at times, there's probably some reasons that we've earned that reputation. Uh, actually, I recently saw a survey. It asked a group of unchurched people about their view of Christians. And overwhelmingly, the response, like in the mid to high 70% and the 80%, they said that they viewed Christians as judgmental, hypocritical, too political, out of touch with reality. And only 16% of these unchurched people said that they viewed Christians as people who consistently show love. Now, it would take a lot of time to, to unpack that survey and process all that, that's in there, but I think at least in some ways, things like that survey are the case when we misunderstand what choosing faith really means. When we think of faith more so in kind of our suburban mindset, where we chase all the things that our culture celebrates, where we just really seek being comfortable above everything else in the world, and then we think, well, if I just sneak a little bit of Jesus into my life, if I just come to church on occasion, maybe if I give from time to time, then that'll surely be costly enough, right? Then, then my life will be good and it'll be easy. But that's not faith. It's not at all the kind of faith that we see played out throughout the story of the Bible because true faith shouldn't just cost something. It should cost everything. Here's how Paul talks about the cost of faith in Philippians chapter 3. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So here's what's true about living a life of faith. You will have trouble. Jesus said that. You may not always be comfortable. You might be an outsider. You might feel like it's a complete anomaly, like my high school friend. 
It might, it, it might cost you something. I think Moses maybe cost him even more than it would cost you or I, but we see in his example that he had a lot to lose, but yet he gave up all of that power, all of that prestige, all of that privilege that he had because he recognized that what's in store for him is so much greater, that it's worth the cost. As you may know if you are familiar with Moses' story, that along the way, he makes a pretty big mistake, and that leads us to our third and final point uh, briefly here this morning. That's the confidence of faith. If you know the story, you know that kind of in an effort to, to side with and protect the Hebrew people that Moses goes and he kills an Egyptian man and he buries him in the sand. And then the next day, we see this happen in Exodus chapter 2. Uh, it's found out. People know about that. And that causes Moses to become fearful and he, he flees from Egypt. He flees from Pharaoh. He's nervous that Pharaoh's going to try to kill him. And he flees away and he ends up in this place called Midian. And there's a lot of stuff that happens there in the wilderness. But we know that after 40 years of him spending time in the wilderness, that God comes and reveals himself to Moses in the story of the burning bush that we see in Exodus 3. And he, God reveals himself and he tells Moses his name for the first time. He says, I am that I am. And he calls Moses to go and lead his people. And like I said earlier, we'll continue on in, in the story and talk more about that part of Moses' life into next week. But let's look back at how our passage for this morning concludes in Hebrews 11, verse 26. It says, He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. What gave Moses the ability to choose faith? I think it was his, his confidence. First, it was his confidence in Christ. Now, if you're tracking along with me this morning, that, might, that phrase might seem kind of odd to you. At least it did to me the first uh, many times that I read it. Like, what did Moses know about Jesus, right? Like, Moses lived some 1,500 years before Jesus, it's kind of a confusing verse. Uh, there's a lot of different opinions about it. I dug into it a little bit this week. Some, some people take uh, different things that Jesus says, like something that he says to the Jewish people in John 8. He says that before Abraham was born, I am. Some scholars and, and, and biblical thinkers uh, tend to take things that Jesus says like that in the New Testament uh, to mean that maybe in the burning bush, the story that we'll dive into again more next week, or maybe at some other point in Moses' life, that, that's, that somehow or in some way, Moses seemed to have some kind of understanding of Jesus uh, in a way that we don't really see f played out in the Old Testament, but maybe through the Holy Spirit, somehow Moses has some clue of who Jesus is, and maybe that's what the author of Hebrew means. I think regardless, we, we do know that the Greek word that's used here in Hebrews 11 for Christ is the same word that's used to translate the Hebrew word for Messiah. And so at least we know that the author of Hebrews is telling us that, that Moses, like all the other men and women that we've talked about in this series on Hebrews 11, that Moses has confidence in the promise and the coming of the Messiah. So he regarded disgrace. He chose a different direction. He took on a cost because he had confidence in the reward that was to come. You see, to Moses, the reward was the promise of the Messiah. To us, the reward is the promise of the Messiah. It's Jesus, who we know has come and will come again. Hebrews 10, 35 says, Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere 
so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. See, we can be confident in our faith because we know that in Christ, there's a reward coming. That everything is loss. Power, wealth, fame, achievement, glory, popularity, all the treasures that that Moses had in Egypt, all the worldly treasures that, that I seek after in my life that you do in yours, we're told that everything is loss compared to the worth of knowing Jesus. That everything is loss compared to the reward that's to come in Christ. I want to wrap up this morning by telling you uh, a little bit about my friend Cooper. Coop has uh, been one of my lifelong friends. I've known him almost forever, I think, and, and actually was one of the guys that was really instrumental in, in bringing me in on the church. Uh, in, in middle school, I was pretty reluctant, and he really pursued me and, and invited me and, and literally picked me up and brought me to different church things that were happening. And, uh, and last March, March of 2021, Coop had a, a, a seizure, a random seizure, uh, that, that led doctors to discover that there was a large tumor that was lodged in his brain, and it's really put him on quite the journey uh, ever since then. And um, in so many ways throughout my life and my life of faith, I've been so inspired and encouraged by, by Cooper's faith. He's always been the kind of guy who, who lives out this faith that we're talking about, that he chooses Jesus over everything else in life. But in this last year and a half or so, in the face of just unimaginably challenging, life-threatening circumstances, I've seen Cooper become so much more confident in who Jesus is. I want to read you something that he wrote in one of his blog uh, post updates. He says, I know that God has a plan. It's way better than our plan. Please pray for us to become, to be, to be obedient to his plan and not try to keep living out our plan every day. Also, please pray for his will to be done in our lives so that people can see God more clearly through us. It's more important to me that people see Jesus through my life than whether I live or die. I've reflected on that a lot. And I've come to the realization that you can only say something like that if you have an unwavering confidence that what you have in Jesus is is worth it, that it's better than anything else. So I wonder this morning as we, as we close and the worship team prepares to come up, I wonder what God might be telling you this morning. I wonder in what ways God might be calling you to live by faith. I wonder what ways God might be nudging you and, and challenging you and encouraging you to say yes to wherever he might be leading you, regardless of whatever you might lose, regardless of whatever it might cost, because you recognize that following Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning, God, just grateful for your word and the ways that even these ancient Old Testament stories and and people, God, that they are so relevant to us and to our hearts and to our lives, God, the way that you speak through your word to us is, is just so incredible. And so, God, we just praise you for who you are and for the ways in which you are working in each one of our lives. And I, God, I, I ask and I pray that, that each one of us would be people 
who are able to, to choose faith in a new way after being encouraged by your word. God, would you give us the strength and the courage to, to say yes to you, to follow you wherever you might lead us. God, would you help us understand how good you are. God, how much we need you. God, how much you love us. God, would we understand who you are and God, would we want to chase after you even more. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.